In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Advent is a season of hope and expectancy. One of the season's aims is to create that expectancy, that longing within us for the gift of Christ in His birth at Christmas, and for His second Advent whenever He returns on the last day. We love Christmas. Love it. But I often caution fellow Christians to not rush into it too quickly. We have to wait. Celebrating Advent cultivates that eager expectation, that that discipline of waiting, as the Bible would teach us, to wait. So today we're reminded of another season of Advent. As we lit the second candle, the one that represents faith, it reminds us that Jesus came just as He said He would, and we have faith that He will come again in glory. Our gospel lesson underscores for us what this faith produces in our lives, what faith produces. And for the baptized, there is this urgent preparation that happens in our lives as we anticipate the Lord's return. We're introduced again to this eclectic character known as John the Baptist or the baptizer. He was the cousin of Jesus, the same one who was in the womb of his mother, the one who leapt in the presence of Christ whenever both of their moms were in the same room. And now little John is all grown up and he's living the ascetic life of a hermit out in the desert and his diet is bugs and honey like we shared with the kids. He's wearing this rough garb of camel's hair with a belt cinched around his waist. Have you ever heard of the legend of the round rock hairy man? Go Google it later and you'll see what I'm talking about. I know Trevor's heard about the round rock hairy man. But whenever you see the hairy man, you'll know exactly how I picture John the Baptist, all right? That's how pious uh, your dear vicar is. Is, uh, these are the thoughts that I have. But boy, does John the Baptist have a really fiery message, an offensive message. So why exactly should we take him seriously? Well, for starters, Matthew's gospel points out to us that this is who the scriptures talked about. In Isaiah chapter 40, uh, about a hundred, hundreds of years before John the Baptist comes on the scene, Isaiah speaks of this one who anticipates the coming Messiah. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come through his preaching. And second, John the Baptist, he's in the wilderness for a reason. Think about Moses and how Moses carried out most of his ministry and his preaching during the 40 years in the wilderness wanderings. John is now here to be another type of Moses, that is, to call God's people back to the wilderness, to leave behind their sins and their idolatry, and to re-enter the promised land through the Jordan River with this amendment of life and faith in God's promises. And the last reason for our purposes today that, I, that we should take him seriously is that Jesus himself identifies John the Baptist as another Elijah. The prophet Malachi spoke of this Elijah who was to come. It wasn't going to be reincarnated Elijah or anything. There was going to be one coming in the spirit of Elijah. 
in the last days. And he was going to turn fathers to their children and children to their fathers through his proclamation and through his preaching. And Jesus identified John the Baptist as that guy. John didn't think of himself that way. Jesus told him, that's who you are. And Jesus called him the greatest man to ever live. High praise, isn't it? So those are his credentials. All right, He doesn't look all that impressive, but those are his credentials from God's word, stamped with the approval of the Lord Jesus himself. So what's his message? It's very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All Christians everywhere must heed and hear John's message. We must take him seriously. It is for us today, just as it was for Israel back then. But how does John's message play out in our lives? And so we're going to examine his message. But for our purposes, we're going to take them in reverse order. Because there's this cause and effect relationship that I want us to understand better. So first we're going to consider the cause. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We begin there. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. These are powerful words. Urgent words. What did they mean during John's days? People were coming out to this man in droves. Even though he wasn't the most winsome of speakers, he probably could have nuanced things a little bit better, maybe. He didn't care. But they were coming out to him in droves. They were coming by the thousands from Jerusalem all the way to the far side of the Jordan, just outside the promised land, to be baptized and to confess their sins. Why? They hadn't had a prophet in well over 400 years. God had been silent. They knew what God had promised to do in the last days. They knew that he promised his kingdom would come and that the manifestation of that end times kingdom would result in peace such as the world had never seen. As we heard from our Old Testament lesson, the wolf would lie down with the lamb. Young children were going to play near the dens of cobras. This is a picture of that end times kingdom peace that God would bring. They had been waiting and waiting for God to act, for him to save. And for them, salvation was never really about escaping from the world. And it was never about escaping from the bodily reality of this life for something better. Here's what I mean, and it's important that we understand this as as modern Westerners. To understand salvation in terms of how the Israelites thought about it and what Jesus came to bring is that salvation for them primarily consisted of God coming down to act within history, to work redemption for his people. Think back to Moses' time, that he came down and delivered them from slavery in Egypt. That he raised up the judges time and time again. That he gave them kings who would get get victory over their enemies. God would come down and he would save his people time and time again. For the Israelites, that was salvation. God acting in history. God's kingdom was never an earthly kingdom, but it could always be found whenever and wherever God was at work in their midst, doing the thing that, he's, that he does best, which is save his people. 
So when John the Baptist says that the kingdom of heaven is near or that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what he means, brothers and sisters, is that God is coming down. He is coming down to save. He's coming to be in the midst of his people. He's not going to rescue us and zap us out of here to be somewhere in some far distant land. He is actually coming down to act within history. And this act of redemption would be fully embodied and carried out in the work of Jesus. The one whom John prophesied, the one whom John was not fit to untie his sandals, even though Jesus called him the greatest man to ever live. So back then, Jesus had yet to come. Of course, we know that. So the people had to take John's message in a particular way. John was sent to announce the coming of the kingdom of heaven in their midst, in a person, the Son of God, the anointed Christ of whom Isaiah spoke. They were to be prepared for his coming, for that initial work of salvation in human history. And he was coming. It was only a matter of time. And so now we live on this side of those historical events. We live on this side of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, resurrection, and ascension. And he has finished his mission for the salvation of all mankind. He has fulfilled the work that his father sent him to do. And we find ourselves at this period of redemptive history. In this part of the story, which is different than Israel's part of the story, but it's similar. So we need to keep that in mind. We live on this side of the cross. They lived on the other side of the cross. But just as repentant Israel found themselves near the river Jordan, preparing for the coming of the kingdom in the person of the Messiah, we as well, through the waters of holy baptism, have been brought to the edge of the promised land, through the word, through the waters, through the word working through the water, we are on the verge of the promised land, of from passing from death into life, from the desert of this world into the promised land of eternal life. That new creation that God has begun to bring into our midst. That new creation which we will finally see in all of its fullness whenever the Lord returns just as they waited for him to come, we too wait for him to come. Jesus has hit his advent even here and now. Here in our midst now as he brings the kingdom of heaven to us in the word and in the sacraments, God is acting on our behalf in time and space. He is working right here, right now to heal, to redeem, to restore and forgive. Of course, we wait for that coming kingdom of heaven. We wait for the reign and rule of God in all of its fullness. We wait for all of that to come whenever he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. Because we know that that is most certainly true, it has an effect in our lives. So the cause here is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's coming. So what's the produced effect in our lives? We repent. Repent. And here we come to the beginning of John's message. We are to do this because the reign of God is in our midst and because it is near. 
And we will see it in full on the last day. The repentant in Israel believed and were baptized. That word repentance here, when John uses it, means not just a change of mind, but a complete change of disposition, a conversion. A conversion. A movement of the entire being. This is why they were at the Jordan. I love this. They, they had to come back to that place where it all began, to where they entered into the promised land in the first place. They had to reorient themselves to God's promises and His saving activity. This is what it meant for them to make straight the highways of God so that He would come in and save them, so that God would have a path to come and to deliver them. Impenitence, not repenting, that would completely preclude them from God's salvation. But repentance would provide a path, a highway, for God to come down. So the nearness of the kingdom always calls for repentance. I invite you to come to our Advent midweek services uh, this week, we're, especially over these next couple of weeks, because we're going to be hearing about the details of the Christian practice of confessing our sins and receiving absolution. And this is a necessary part of repentance, but for now... I want us to understand the, the, the key features of what repentance means here from John the Baptist. This type of repentance that God calls us to. The penitents are prepared. The repentant. Those who confess their sins and trust in God's mercy. The penitent. Those who repent not just once, but daily or making straight the paths of the Lord. This repentance means first, hearing God's law and letting the law do its work. It means that we are not dismissive of God's moral standard or the obedience that He calls us to as His people. We do not shrug off the fact that He promises wrath for those, who, for, for those who refuse to obey His commandments. And His wrath terrifies us. It bothers us. It vexes our conscience so much that we are compelled to confess our sins because we are sorry for them. But we don't stop there. When we've acknowledged how we failed to live up to God's law, we receive His words of forgiveness in the gospel. That Jesus bled and died to take away every single one of those sins. This is what He came for, brothers and sisters. This is what Advent is all about. That the kingdom of heaven, God in the flesh, comes to us. And He is laid on the wood of the manger so that He would be laid on the wood of the cross to save us in history. This is the good news. But I tell you, you cannot receive that good news unless the law of God has, has, has had its effect. That good news will never be truly good to you unless you know the bad news. That we are sinners, that we fall short of the glory of God. And sometimes that becomes a throwaway line for us because we all acknowledge it to be true. But how true do we know that to be? Do we know the severity 
of the wrath that Jesus has delivered us from. When we're more acquainted with that, the gospel becomes far sweeter to us. It's the good news that we receive after the law of God has had its effect. And once it has, you receive and you trust in what God has said of you and what he says of you here and now, that your sins are forgiven on account of Jesus' death and resurrection, that you have been made clean, pure, and holy in the waters of your baptism and in the means of grace. This is God's promise to you today. But then here's the real kicker. This is the challenge for all of us during this Advent season. Repentance is that daily endeavor that we, are, we daily return to the waters of baptism. We daily confess our sins and trust in His mercy to renew us. It's a daily dying to the sinful flesh and rising anew in the promises of God. It's the baptismal life. And as the Holy Spirit is daily at work bringing us again to the waters of baptism, forgiving our sins in the absolution, giving us the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus in His Holy Supper, He actually produces real fruit in our lives. And this is the mark of true repentance. That you and I, as living trees, will produce fruit Fruit that is in keeping with good soil and good nutrients. You know how that goes. You've got to have good soil, good nutrients, fertilizer, water, all that stuff. For us, that's the word in the sacraments. As we are planted in those things, as we abide in Christ, the true and living vine, we will bear fruit in our lives. And this is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were rebuked so harshly by John about. I wish I had time to go on about that exchange, but they came to his baptism, uh, maybe to be baptized, maybe just to check things out, but they were there to, to participate, perhaps because they were afraid of losing their privilege or their social status, their good standing in society as upright, moral, religious people. John saw right through it. These guys failed to realize that the proper response to the coming kingdom of heaven is not worrying about status or privilege or external works of righteousness. It's about the change of the heart. That's the only proper response to the coming kingdom. But I'm well aware that is not you. You, you are not sitting here because you are a hypocritical, self-righteous Pharisee. You are actually sitting here because you are like the repentant Israelites who heard John's message in the wilderness and who understood the urgency to prepare. That's why you're here, is to prepare. And, re and prepare we do. We will. And I tell you nothing different than what John told his hearers. Return to your baptism daily. Live the repentant life with your brothers and sisters. We cast off the works of darkness. We walk in the righteousness of Christ that He bestowed upon us in baptism. And as you do that, we must never lose sight of what we've been saved from, how God has acted on our behalf to redeem us. We never forget what we're preparing for the coming kingdom of heaven 
the kingdom that is promised, the kingdom which we will see in its fullness whenever Jesus returns for us on the last day. And all of our faith that we have right now will actually be turned into sight because we will be there. You and me, the risen and ascended Lord Jesus. Amen.